At this point, every information portal is saturated with mindfulness content. But this show is a unique, unusual, curious take on mindfulness. Some of what you hear will be completely new to you. Let's dive in and take a look at the nature of the aware mind. I invite you to deepen your awareness so that you may be liberated and inspired. We are here with Sarah Vallely, mindfulness teacher, coach, and author. Sarah has been teaching meditation and mindfulness for the past two decades, training and certifying others to teach mindfulness. Sarah is the author of four books. Her latest book is titled Tame, Soothe, Dwell, The 55 Teachings of TSD Mindfulness. On today's episode, we discuss how our brains interfere with our ability to make rational decisions, and we also talk about how our brains take mental shortcuts that can actually warp our reality. I'm Jacob DeRossett. We are here with Sarah Vallely. Sarah, how are you? I'm great, Jacob. Thank you. People approach decision-making in different ways. Some people use analysis. They might use a pros and cons list. Others rely more on intuition or consider their emotions. Some people might ask for guidance. Some like to make decisions independently on their own without guidance. Some people avoid decision-making. They might procrastinate making the decision or they might pass it off to somebody else. And there is actually research that shows that people who avoid decision-making are less mindful. And some people might make decisions quickly to avoid the stress of the decision-making process. When I read this, this was new to me. I knew that some of us make decisions quickly, but it never occurred to me that maybe sometimes people are doing that to avoid the whole decision-making process in general. There's a name for this. It's called hypervigilance decision-making. Also in the research shows that people who do this, that is associated with low mindfulness. So people have been researching why people make bad decisions for decades. This is like a thing. Some experts say bad decisions happen because people take mental shortcuts. And there's a name for this. It's called heuristics. So heuristics are these mental shortcuts that we make so we can make decisions quickly and with limited effort. And these mental shortcuts cause irrational thinking. So that's the whole premise of this school of thought is that the reason people go into irrational thinking is because of these mental shortcuts. Do they explain why? I mean, I'm sure you're going to get into it, but what's the causation? They're called cognitive biases and there are 24 of them. So there's a different type of reason for each one. Most of them have to do with minimizing effort. Mm. Yeah. We receive roughly 11 million bits of information per second, but we can only process about 40 bits of information per second. So these heuristics are our brain's attempt to simplify the information processing because there's so much. And I think you and I just listened to a podcast recently where they had a guest on Tim Ferriss's show and the guest was explaining, I can't remember his name, that there is all of this stuff going on in our reality that we can't see, understand, or process because it's just beyond our brain's capability, which I think he was saying when you take the psychedelics, that it actually stops that. Yeah. I heard Michael Pollan in his book, How to Change Your Mind. He talked to all the psychonauts from the 60s and 70s, and he would ask them all, what was your favorite substance? And all of them said mescaline. So peyote from San Pedro plant. It is a opening up all of your sensory inputs. So 
you can sit in astonishment for 12 hours at the back of your hand because you're you're open and taking in every every part of that. Basically, our walking around experience is like a subdued version of that. The research on psychedelics is just absolutely incredible nowadays. It's very interesting. I'm very, very interested in that stuff. But yeah, that's a big part of it is it's opening up all of the things that you have to shut out to help you to function because it's not functional to sit and stare at the back of your hand for 12 hours. It's fun, but not not functional. (laughs) Yeah. When I was listening to that episode, I was sitting in my garage working on a painting project and I just stopped and I looked out my garage at all the trees and I just said, wow, there's probably all this stuff going on that I'm not processing. Researchers call this process cognitive biases, which are subconscious errors in thinking that affect how rational and accurate our decisions are. There are 24 of these cognitive biases that they've come up with. And basically, these cognitive biases warp our perception of reality. So I'm not going to go through all 24, but I'll go over a few. If you think about it, it's not really our fault. We have to take these mental shortcuts because there isn't enough time or there isn't enough information. Here's an example of a cognitive bias. This one is called hindsight bias. This is when you look back on an event after it happened, and you think that you knew during the whole event what the outcome was going to be. So a typical example is like someone who's watching a sports game, and then the sports game ends and their team loses, and they're like, oh yeah, I knew my team was going to lose. But the reality is, is they did not know when they were watching that their team was going to lose. So this is something that I do every single presidential election after the results come in. I'm like, oh, yeah, I knew I knew that was going to be the outcome. (laughs) I'm like permeated right now with this uh, podcast I was listening to yesterday when the housing market crashed in 2008. Everybody's like, "Okay, we need to watch out for that. And then when COVID happened, it was a financial podcast. They were like, "Okay, we need to watch out for that. And like we think that we are preparing for the unknown but really we're preparing for things that have happened. We don't keep into consideration enough is surprise that events will happen that we actually have no idea. Yeah. And that's the whole point that the experts are making is that the problem with this cognitive process that most of us do is that it leads us to incorrectly believe that we can predict the outcomes when we can't. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So the experts say the reason that we do this is because it feels better to live in this illusion that the world is predictable. Well, yeah, it's paralyzing to just sit and and consider every potential thing that could go wrong. That's not, again, not functional. So guess what? People who are more mindful take less of these mental shortcuts that we're talking about. (laughs) This is proven by science, so it must be true. Therefore... People who are more mindful make better and more rational decisions. How about that? Being rational has so much to do with the process that we use. So the process being we avoided these mental shortcuts that lead us into illusion type thinking. Can you give an example of a rational versus an unrational decision? There is a cognitive bias that's called confirmation bias. And that's when we read things or hear people will often interpret what they're saying 
as supporting what we already believe, when in fact, there might be parts of what they're saying that don't exactly align with what we believe, but we're not processing that. So if I'm putting together a podcast episode, if I'm putting together a class, if I'm working on a book that I'm writing and I'm reading research, I'm processing the information in a way that aligns with what I already believe, which I do. I've caught myself because I'll say, oh yeah, that's what I was thinking. Oh yeah, that's what I was thinking. And then maybe a few days later, I end up reading the study again for some reason and I'll realize, oh, I actually didn't interpret that part correctly, this is actually really what they're saying. What I believed wasn't completely true if I'm basing truth on this study. And so I have to reconfigure what I understand to be the truth. And so that's a decision, right? I'm making a decision of what content to include in our podcast or what content to include in a book or so forth. I was reading through these different biases, I'll get into a few more. And I was trying to come up with personal examples that I do. And sometimes it was really hard. And I was thinking, wow, if I can't come up with an example, I probably do this a lot and just have no idea. (laughs) That's kind of freaked me out. Let me tell you about this study. It's called Cognitive Biases and Mindfulness. And it was published in 2021. And the researchers did this study in London. So it's from the UK. So let me back up a little bit and talk about the structure of mindfulness studies. Mindfulness studies either test people's mindfulness skills. So everybody who's a subject takes a test and they're assessed on how mindful of a person they are. And then they're given another test, maybe how good of a person you are test. Not really, but that's basically (laughs) kind of what these tests are. And then they do the correlations. Okay, it looks like the people who scored high on the how good of a person you are test also scored scored high on how mindful you are. So we conclude that if you're a good person, you're more mindful. If you're more mindful, you're a good person. That is one type of mindfulness research structure. Another one, they take subjects and they sit them down and they teach them mindfulness. And then they take another control group that they don't teach mindfulness. And then afterwards, they both give them some kind of test. Also, a variation of that is they will take a group of people, they will give them a test in the beginning, then they'll teach them mindfulness, and they'll give them a similar test at the end to just see how their answers shifted based on the mindfulness training. A good example of that is from our racism episode. They tested their making microaggressions before they taught them mindfulness. Actually, they didn't even teach them mindfulness. All they did was have these people listen to a 10-minute guided mindfulness meditation where they just noticed their body in a non-judgmental way. Then they gave them another test on microaggressions, and they were 80% less likely to make microaggressions, which was just completely mind-blowing. It takes so little. So this study doesn't do either of those things. I've been reading mindfulness research for 15 years. I've never seen this before. What they did in this study is they sat people down and they had them look at these photos and they had two groups. And this is the other funny thing. The one group they called the mindless group. They actually say mindless group like a thousand times in the study. It's hilarious. And then the other group they called the mindful group. So the mindless group, they gave them 
just different photos. And they asked them a simple question about each photo. The mindful group, they gave them the same photos, but they asked them more detailed questions about these photos, which forced them to spend more time looking at the photo, looking for more possibilities in the photo, thinking about the photo more deeply. That's it. And then they gave both groups tests on cognitive bias. How much are you making decisions based on your cognitive biases? If you look at these results, it takes so little. I mean, that's all they did was look at these photos and find more stuff in the photos. It makes me think that all we need to do is take five minutes out of our day. Just once a day, take five minutes, look around and find five things in your environment that you never noticed before. Just do that once a day and you're going to be better at decision-making. I do have a question though about all this, because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. How do you get through to people that this is important, that you should really try? You know what I mean? Like, how do you approach this? Because I I very much struggle with this. I would say it's probably my absolute thing that I'm worse at as a trainer is getting people to, to make habit change outside of the time that we work together. You know, get, people will do anything when you're working with them, but then outside to get that habit change, it seems like there's this real uphill battle when it comes to helping people with that. As you know, I've been doing this for 21 years. I think you get to the point where you let that go. Be the best trainer, you be the best teacher, the best coach you can be. And you just let go of outcome of of what your clients are going to do. But sometimes I will step in. I had a client recently that was avoidant on certain things. And I finally told her, I said, I'm concerned. I said, I'm concerned. And since I don't normally do that, that really had an effect on her. The next session, she said, you really woke me up when you said that. Like You made me realize that I really need to make a shift around this. So being honest, that came from the heart. I truly was concerned. So being on alignment with your heart when you're offering the suggestions can also be helpful. Yeah. And also stating data which I'm sure you do. You do that all the time. So I was telling you about the study, cognitive biases and mindfulness. All the mindfulness group did was just look at these photos more deeply and ask more difficult questions. So here's the results of the study. Those that were in the mindful group performed 40% better on confirmation bias questions than the mindless group. And just as a reminder, confirmation bias is when you interpret new information as in alignment with your own beliefs. And the reasoning the experts give that we do this is that it is easier to process information that aligns with your own beliefs. It takes less effort. We make these mental shortcuts because it takes less effort. Availability bias is another cognitive bias Those in the mindful group performed 30% better than those in the mindless group. And availability bias is believing that because you're thinking about an event frequently, that it's common. Or if you see something on the news a lot, then you think it's common. For you, maybe it's thinking about plane crashes because you think about plane crashes or there's a part of you that thinks it's common, but it's really not. Yeah. Yeah. Because in movies, a lot of times people, they're in plane crashes. So yeah. I've got another example of the availability bias. So Jacob, are there more words in the English language that begin with the letter K 
or more words that have K as the third letter in the word? I would imagine it would be begin with K, but it kind of feels misleading because when people bring these things up, it's always the opposite of what you think, right? So majority of people will answer that. They will say there are more words in the English language that begin with the letter K. Actually, in reality, there are way more words that have K as the third letter. But the reason that we answer begin with the letter K is because that's what we access in our memory quicker because we generally access words by the word that they begin with, or we remember words by the word that the letter that they begin with. Yeah. I was like uh, kitchen catch up. And then I was like, third letter. I was like, take, I was like, I can't think of any. Because that's in your cognition, because that's in your memory, there's a part of you that believes that's more common, mm. but in reality, it's not. So it's, that's. It's like when you buy a Jeep Grand Cherokee and you drive around and then all of a sudden everybody has a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Yeah. The reason the experts believe that we do this is because it takes less effort to make a decision based on what's in front of us or considering our own thoughts, considering what we've seen on TV or in the movies, then it's looking deeper into all the possibilities. Again, it just takes less effort. Interesting, huh? Very interesting. It's interesting that it all comes back to effort. My wife and I talk about decision fatigue all the time. Hey, what are we going to do for dinner? What do we need? We have so many things to consider. It's just, it's just exhausting. So, so yeah, later in the day too, it's way more difficult than in the beginning of the day because your decision battery is really high in the morning. And then as you go, you make decisions, it gets lower. Yeah. I think in general, we believe that we have an unlimited amount of energy to put toward our thinking, our mental processes. And the reality is, is we have a finite amount of energy to put towards that. Another bias is called inattentional bias. And those in the mindful group scored 40% better on this type of bias than those in the mindless group. And what this bias is, is you don't notice something because you're focused on something else. I mean, this just seems human nature. We all do this. The reason that we do this is, is because we naturally focus on the very familiar because it takes less effort to process, right? A classic example of this is that video that I'm sure a lot of us have seen of those people passing the basketball and you're asked at the beginning of the video to count how many times they pass the basketball. And what happens is, is during that video, a guy dressed up as a gorilla jumps in with the group of people passing the basketball, passes the ball a couple of times, and then jumps back out. And the majority of people that watch that video don't even notice that a gorilla jumped in because they're so focused on counting the number of passes. A really good example of this would be we're making a decision and we're just not seeing this other aspect of the situation. We're blind to it. We all know mindfulness helps us see more, see the reality of what's going on. One more cognitive bias is loss aversion. And those that were in the mindful group scored 30% better on the questions that related to loss aversion. And loss aversion is when we would rather avoid losing something rather than gaining something that's equivalent in value. Yeah. We're just biased towards negative, right? That's just kind of, I, th I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I think most people are, even if they don't think that they are because yeah, it's a survival instinct, right? 
being optimistic doesn't necessarily keep you alive as well as vigilance. So that makes, makes good sense. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're all operating from some negative bias and the mindfulness can really help us be aware of that for sure. Yeah. So a typical example of this loss aversion cognitive bias is, you know, how when you're online and they give you a free trial and you sign up for the free trial and then you end up paying for the product. And there's a psychology behind that. We are more likely to pay and keep that product because we don't want to lose our access to it, even if we don't even use it that much. Yeah. Disney Plus is getting like $100 a year from me and I literally never watch anything on it. But, you know, just in case I've got access to all the Marvel movies. I just finally got rid of Peacock's Grammarly. I don't know if I really use Grammarly. Like I need to get rid of that. So how does mindfulness help us reduce cognitive bias so we can make better, more rational decisions? Well, it's, I think for me, it just the awareness. I'm now aware. I'm able, able to see my decisions. I'm able to kind of watch the thought process. I've gotten way more aware of those really quick little thoughts that go through that I normally would have just not even been the least bit aware of, you know? So that to me is, is it, is that I'm able to see that whole process happen. I'm able to be the witness of that process go through. And then also I'm more aware of being aware of that a and B I'm going to be able to make an actionable change because it seems like I just have more access to it. I think a lot of people are like their mind is like a house that they're standing outside of looking at. And then I think that the more mindful you become, the more exploration you do of your mind, we could say, it's like you're walking around in the rooms. You can go in a room and sit down. You can you know, open a door. But I think a lot of people are like, and, and I, I've been like, this is why I feel confident saying that, that it's like I'm in a different zip code than my mind. We can pull up some websites on cognitive biases and learn all 24 and consider if we're playing out these certain biases, which is an approach that I use in coaching a lot. I'll give a lot of examples that you might be doing this. You might be doing this with your cognition. You might be doing this. But the other approach is to simply practice mindfulness, just like they did in this study, which it was kind of like a borderline. They just looked at photos and found things in those photos, maybe just buy a Where's Waldo book and do that every night. But seriously, just you know, start practicing mindfulness more. And the idea is that you'll naturally not depend on your cognitive biases as much as truly shown by the results of the research. And the reason is, is because mindfulness practice is about seeing reality as it is, just this is it. It helps stop our own thinking and our cognitive process get in the way of seeing reality, right? I mean, that's the whole point of mindfulness is we've got all this stuff going on in our heads that is obscuring our ability to see reality, but mindfulness minimizes that. It helps us not buy into other people's illusions. And it helps us in general be able to notice more stimuli because we're not eluded or distracted by our own thinking. And so that can be really helpful for decision-making and rational thinking is to be able to see the big picture or just this, look at some picture. <laughs> this whole podcast is just about do mindfulness, racism, do mindfulness. <laughs> you're, you're broke, do mindfulness. It's like, just go, just do mindfulness every time. Right. You're sad. Go do mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. The Aware Mind Podcast is a TSD Mindfulness production. Please visit our website at tsdmind.org. That is T as in tame, 
S as in soothe, and D as in dwell. Mind as in mindfulness.org. Check out our blog post for this episode with links to supplemental information such as worksheets you can use to put into practice the mindfulness skills shared in this episode. Also, please sign up for our newsletter and receive mindfulness tips. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at aware underscore mind underscore podcast. Thank you.